0: Area Ten Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown, in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com/slash Area Ten Church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time, just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, onto this week's message. Like lights on a dashboard our emotions and intuitions exist to point us to greater realities think about it joy the feeling of joy when we when when that washes over us that isn't just oh you feel good chemicals are working in your brain and and you're experiencing something like pleasure it's something greater than that we it it points us to Something that feels almost cosmic or, or universal, like there's something going on in the world and I'm experiencing this joy. I am connected to humanity or to God or something like that. We, we experience that in, in the emotion of joy, the emotion of, of pain. When we feel pain, that is pointing us to a greater reality, right? We don't think of it that way, but it's true. Like if you touch a hot iron, you feel pain. And that is trying to tell you something. That is your body saying, you should stop doing this. It's hot. It's not going to go well for you if you continue this. And there's a, there's a larger thing happening here that you need to be aware of. This is hot. Stay away from it. That, that, that real emotion, which we would consider to be very negative, points us to a greater reality, and, and we need to actually adjust to that. Think about an emotion that we all feel um, and what it points us to. Think about the emotion of disappointment, right? We've all felt that disappointment points us to a greater reality. Something else is going on when we are disappointed. On some level, disappointment is I didn't get what I wanted. I was hoping for something and it didn't work out. But if we really pay attention to it and drill down, we can learn some things about ourselves. You didn't get what you want. What did you really want? You experienced disappointment here. There was pain. What were you hoping would have happened? Sometimes disappointment can be a huge clue to us about our, our truest desires and wants and, and what we're really going after. Disappointment is often also connected to just sort of the, the messed up nature and brokenness of the world. Disappointment, it doesn't just tell us something about ourselves. I think it tells us something about the world. We are disappointed in the way the world is, right? And I'm saying this, even if right now you would say the world is going, or things in the world are going pretty well for you, if you're like, I'm living my best life or whatever, still, you can look at the world and go, something's off here. This isn't the way it should be. Like, it might be working out for me, okay, in this season, but something sort of cosmically is off and wrong. When I look at poverty and, you know, climate challenges and, 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 and destruction and wars and human trafficking and, you know, all, all this stuff. When I, when I look at these things going on around the world, I think, well, at, at minimum, I'm disappointed in the way the world is, but I think something is broken in the world. Something's off. Something is not as it should be. Now, every worldview has tried to figure out what's broken and what's wrong with the world. Why are we always so disappointed in the way the world kind of shows up to us? So if you're, a, if you're a, like a nihilist, you might say, uh, well, I mean, the world just sucks, and that's just the way it is, and you just have to deal with it, and oh well, right? If you're maybe, if you fall into maybe a category of like a secular agnostic, you might say, well, the world is broken, clearly something's not right about the world, but mostly what is wrong with the world has to do with like a lack of education. If we could educate people, then they would make better choices, and then the world would be just a better place, period, and that, that would solve it. But every worldview tries to tackle this brokenness problem. In, um, in Buddhism, you might, we might say, oh, well, w- the world is wrong. The, the problem with the world is that you desire too much. And it is your desire, your attachment to things that is causing all of your suffering. If you would just desire less and want less and not be so attached to things, you would not feel suffering. That's, that's a, that's a worldview. Uh, Islam, though, the problem with the world is described as like ignorance, that people have ignorance and we need Allah to reveal Himself to us and when He does that and teaches us the way to be, then we won't be ignorant and there will be not so many problems in the world. In Judaism, it might, it might be, and this is similar to Christianity, but in Judaism, it might say, uh, okay, the problem in the world is, is, you know, sin and that people are breaking God's commandments. And if we would all just adhere to the way God ordered the world to be, then we will be fine. And we just need to follow all of his laws perfectly. And then things will go much better for us. Um, so there's all these different worldviews, different ways of seeing. Even, man, even if you don't subscribe to anything I just I just described there, even if you're like a Star Wars nerd, we have one for you, you know, y- Yoda. Uh, yoda <laughs> Yoda, who says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Mm. Right? So, (laughs) that's all I got. My Kermit the Frog's pretty good too, but they're very similar. Same guy, even. Um, uh, So, right, and and I read that from Yoda, and I'm like, he's right, kind of. Like, I can get along with most of that, but I'd like to nuance it out a little bit, but I I, I get it. Um, These are all, hey, there's something wrong with the world. Here's what it is, and here's the solution. And today I want to lay out for you as we start this series, I want to lay out for you what I think the Christian understanding is. This is what is wrong with the world, and here's what is the solution. Um, I know you didn't wake up this morning going, I wonder what's wrong with the world and what is the solution, but I I think this actually really matters to us, whether whether it's a front of mind thing for us or not. Um, And if you are not a Christian today. If you go, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm bought in on the Christian, whatever that answer is you're about to give. Uh, I just want to say, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're checking this out, and maybe a friend invited you, and I think that's great. And like, listen, and, and, and dive into this thing, and, and poke and prod it, and let's see if it's true. Um, I, I hope that you find hope in what I'm going to tell you today. If you are a Christian, I'm going to tell you a story that you already know. But rather than check out... I my hope is that you really get the power of this and that it, it kind of really sinks into you in a way that maybe it hasn't before. Because this is an old story, but sometimes when it's so old, we, we, we kind of go, yeah, 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 I know that. And we miss the power of it. And so I, I, I hope there's something in here for you as well. We are um, starting a series today. Called pillars, and we are looking at the book of Romans in the New Testament, and we were gonna we're gonna go through about seven chapters of it. The book of Romans was written to the church in Rome in about the year A.D. 57. Uh, the Apostle Paul, one of the one of the guys who wrote a large, a large chunk of the New Testament, he wrote this letter while he was living in in Greece in the city of Corinth. He writes a letter to the church in Rome, and uh, this letter is a lot of. Scholars, philosophers, uh, thinkers on on the New Testament would say this is Paul's, you know, magnum opus. This is his most dense theological, philosophical work. This is this is big time. Romans is, is is kind of thick in compared to other letters in the New Testament, both in how long it is and in the concepts that he dives into. It's there's a lot here. It's very meaty, um, and and as such, I have resisted going through it like we're about to partly because um i'm like oh it's just a lot it's just it can be it can be kind of heavy and and paul's really going after and it can be really nuanced and um and so it even as a teacher of the scripture it it, romans can be a little intimidating it's like oh boy here we go and i know that um romans is has some it doesn't have the cute little quotable nuggets that you get out of other Versus other books of the Bible sometimes. It can be a a little heavier. And also, um, there are topics that are hard for us. Um, Now, we've done that before. We went through 1 Corinthians. That was full of topics that were hard for us. But there's some tough stuff in here for, tough stuff for 21st century Americans in particular. Uh, I think every culture has struggled with it in their own way. But there will be things that we will come across here that are going to be hard for us to swallow as well, starting next week, by the way. So come back. Mark your calendar. Come back. It's going to get rough starting next week. But today it's, you know, rainbows and kittens. So don't worry about that. Um, so I want to I dive into it. Uh, Romans chapter 1. And really, I, I was going to do this all in one week, but we can't. Romans 1 is, is good news and bad news. We'll do the bad news next week. The good news is this week. And I, I want you to hear it. And I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to do what I, I rarely do. I'm going to just read you a long chunk of this. And as I read this... I really want you to let it sink into you, like really try to follow the wording here. There's, there's a lot being said, and you might get tripped up on a, on a few things, but really let this sink in as, as we read this. Romans 1, I'm going to read 1 through 17. This is just the beginning of the letter and where Paul is kind of setting this all up. Let's start with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith. There's a word Paul uses in those 17 verses that he uses more in that section than in any anywhere else in in the New Testament and it is the word the gospel. And for us the word gospel is like a genre of music or old-timey kind of word but basically the word gospel means good news. And so the gospel when he's talking about it, he he's saying this is the good news of of about what God has done in in the world. And it shows up a lot. Romans verse 1, again, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He goes, look, this is what I'm about. This is what God has called me to do, is proclaim to everybody this good news about God. There's a good thing that I want to tell people about. Verse 9, again, for God is my witness, Who am I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that, without ceasing, I mention you, he talks about his prayers. Uh, he serves God with his spirit in the gospel of the Son. He, he's saying, uh, I, I'm sort of wholeheartedly doing this thing. I am preaching the gospel. I'm s- spreading this good news. And then in verse 16, a lot of scholars think this is the theme. This is like the, if you had a thesis paper, like a statement, That you put at the beginning of your paper this is it verse 16 and 17 for the whole book a lot of people say this is the heart of it for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for in the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith as is written the righteous shall live by faith he says all right this gospel thing uh this good news about jesus i'm not uh, ashamed of it this is good news about what god has done in the world and and in." The message is, the the good news is, there is a God. There is a creator of the universe. And that God has taken the, the, the time and effort to communicate to us. And he has told us who we are. He's made us. He's told us who we are and how we're to live. And then we blow it. We sin. We step away from God. This is what is wrong with the world. This is what is broken with the world. This is what we're disappointed about is we have messed things up and we've caused division between us and other people and between us and God. And God has acted in, in the world and he has seen that um, and he's seen that we cause sin and division, and he has made a way to fix that. He has sent his son, Jesus. Jesus shows up, and he says, look, I have a whole other, I have a different kingdom for you. We're all used to living in countries and kingdoms and municipalities and all that. He said, there's all of that, but I have a different kingdom. I have a different way of being. I have a different world for you to step into. And he challenges us to do that, to be his kingdom uh, people and that, he is going, and that he is the king and that he is ruling over um, all of us and invites us to be part of that and into that family. And then uh, as we continue on and figure out what's going on, he dies for our sins on the cross, comes back from the dead and promises us that we too will come back from the dead when we enter his kingdom and, and follow him. And then at the end of the Bible, we find out that Jesus is returning one day, and he's going to set everything right, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more tears and no more sorrow. That is sort of the grand story uh, of the gospel in in a nutshell. So there's a lot there. I just want to break it down in in smaller chunks here um, and, and talk about what it means. So the gospel means this. Number one, we have been invited. The beginning of the letter in Romans, Paul uses language to refer to himself. He's like, we, I was set apart for the apostle, and we have done these things. He's often talking about himself as an apostle, as a, a special set-apart one that Jesus commissioned to spread the word, right? And and he's also a Jew, and he's talking to a group of non-Jews. And he's when, So sometimes when he's saying we, he means us Jews, and then he's talking to this crowd that are, are not Jews. And he basically says... Um, I, I, I sure, I, I received the gospel, I received this whole Jesus thing, because I'm a Jew, like, that was kind of like our family thing, but saying to the non-Jews, he says, you guys are invited to this as well, like, this is also for you, the benefits of all this are, are for you too. You have been invited. Man, it hurts when you don't get invited to things, right? You learned this in middle school, right? Well, I did, I don't know about you, I did, (laughs) I learned that, uh, there can be a a thing going on and you're not invited. And then you find out later that everybody was invited and you weren't invited. And I always imagined like, did people literally sit around and go, you know, who would be good to not have here? Chris Barris. If we would not invite him, this will be a better event. You know, maybe they did. I, you know, fear the worst or whatever. And I feel bad for teenagers today because you, you're growing up in a world with social media and you know in real time, if you're not invited, Like in my day, yeah, you found out later that there was like a party or just something going on, and you didn't get to go. But now you can you can be disappointed in real time, all the time, 24/7. You can find out who's doing a thing that you're not invited to. It's horrible. It's one of the many horrible things. Um, We just had to be like uh, in my in 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 my high school. you, You know, maybe you didn't get to sit at that table at lunch, but now like that it's all the time that you get not invited. It's horrible. Um, the gospel says that you have been invited to, to God's party. You have been invited to be part of his family. Paul actually uses the word um, included. You were included, and we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. But He says you were, you were included in this, and I don't know if this is shocking to you because it would have been to them because for them, for a Jew to say to a non-Jew, you've been invited into this family of God thing, that's weird because the Jews were so separate. And Jewish wasn't just a religion, it's an ethnic thing. So it's a little weird to, to say, like, you get to be part of my family also. That's kind of odd. Um, also the Jews took an attitude towards the non-Jews as like, oh, they're, they're sort of bad and pagan and the Romans and all that and all the Caesars and all that kind of stuff, those people are bad. And so for a Jew to say to this group of non-Jews, no, no, you are, you are included in this. All the gifts and the benefits and the, the work of God in the world, this is for you too. Um, that, that would have been shocking. Um, it doesn't probably shock us to, for you personally to think, hey, I'm part of God's family. That's probably not shocking to you. And I, I'm thinking it's because we're American and we've been told all our lives how special we are. I don't know, maybe. You know, like you grow up and you're like, oh, you're a great kid and you're special and you're unique and you're wonderful. And so you kind of absorb that message throughout your life. Like, oh, I'm, I'm special and I'm unique and wonderful. And, and there's, there's, there's some good things to that. But I, I think if we absorb that message and then God comes along and says, you were invited into my family, you know for a lot of us we might be like well of course he would want me <laughs> like I, I i know right like i'm in right like i also special and so if god wants that just makes sense god also wants me part of the family of course he does right and maybe maybe we we feel that we're like somehow good or chosen or deserving or whatever i mean we have we have iPhones and we have ads and things that scream at us and tell us how wonderful and unique we are, and so the fact that God wants us, that just makes a lot of sense. But I don't want us to miss how wild this really is and what good news this really is. The truth is, and we'll get into this more next week, but the truth is all of us have messed up, and we have stuff to face. We have stuff inside of us that we are not proud of that is not good. We all have it. We all have a a brokenness, um, and Scripture calls that sin, um, and even if you don't like that word, um, it's, you, you know it's there. It's all, it's all something we've, we've faced. And, and so the truth is, and, and Paul will unpack this over the next couple chapters, the truth is we don't have a leg to stand on in front of God. As good as we might think we are, we don't. We don't really have it. We, we, we can't get up there and be like, I'm really great. And it's like, are you though? No, that's not. Like you, you've got some stuff as well. And the beauty of the good news is, hey, look, you don't have a leg to stand on, but you're going to be allowed to stand anyway. And you're going to be allowed to stand because of what Jesus has done, not because of you being so amazing or something. You and I are, the, the hard truth is, the world is disappointed, and, disappointing and broken, but the hard truth is you and I also are disappointing and broken. But the beautiful thing of the gospel is that none of us are so good that we don't need God's love and grace and none of us are so bad that we are unworthy of it. God has actually invited you to be part of his family, so that's part of the good news of the gospel. Second is this: we have been forgiven and i don't have to uh, I don't have time to uh unpack all of this, and uh, we can talk about this in weeks to come, but in in a nutshell it, it it's this. Our sin, the things we have done, have caused division between us and God and us and other people, and Jesus has made that right, and God has uh, acted on our behalf to put us back into right relationship so that we can be in better relationships with each other and a better relationship with him. Um, And when we are disappointed and we think things are broken, if we really look closely, we we would realize that the reason the world is broken is partly because of us, because of who we are. It's not just that system out there. I am part of that system. I am also broken. I've used this before, but I think this is uh, bears repeating. Uh, about a hundred years ago, G.K. Chesterton, the author uh, and uh, famous sort of Catholic writer in England, it, the paper in London was asking the question that I started with today. Is basically like, you know, what is wrong with the world? And so they, uh, the paper said, ask for people to write in and say, what is wrong with the world? And Chesterton wrote maybe, in in, in a brilliant piece of Word Economy, Chesterton wrote this. Dear sirs, I am yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. He ain't wrong, and he's honest. Isn't that the actual truth of it? An honest evaluation is the problem in the world is the problem in me. Or as Easton says, the line between good and evil runs straight through the human heart. It's not just the brokenness out there. There's something going on in here. And it's what we call sin. And you may not call it that, um, but we all all know there's something broken there. And I'm not just talking about you make mistakes. Mistakes are something that you might have in your past. Like, ooh, I I messed up back there. And if we're honest and we're not so prideful, we could admit it. Oh, I blew it. I'm sorry, I didn't show up, I said this thing, I lied, I did whatever, uh, we have mistakes in our past. Sin can be those mistakes, it could be, but sin also is like not just in the past, it's on the calendar in the future, like I'm going to go do this Friday, and we kind of joke about it, we'll say things like, I'm going to make some really bad decisions on Friday, right, that's kind of how we joke about it, what are we talking about there? We're talking about doing something stupid. And I don't want to sound like your mom, but I'll be like, how about you make good decisions? <laughs> like, you know? But, like, they're, they're, that's real. That sin is real. And, and, again, if you don't want to call it that, you know in your own heart, I know in my own heart, we know that whether you have a code of ethics or morals or standards or you subscribe to some system of religion or spirituality or whatever, you know in your own heart hey, I don't do everything I'm supposed to do. By my own standards, whatever standard I lay out, I fall short of that thing. I don't live up to that ethical code that I say that I follow. We all sin. And the gospel says Jesus pays for those sins. He makes a sacrifice for them. He atones for them. He dies for those sins on the cross. In, in, in the sense that he takes all of our sins on him on the cross and he gives us in this great exchange, he gives us his righteousness. It, it comes back to us. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, the idea of atoning and sacrifice and paying for sins, that's weird for us. This is maybe one way I thought about to explain it because um, we don't usually use that language in our culture. Think of it this way. I have uh, sons. They have cars now. They are on the road driving all of them. It's terrifying. Um, if one of them wrecks their car and they get an accident and they can't drive um, because, because they wrecked their car, um, we have a problem, right? And it's an expensive problem. And it, it's a problem that financially they're probably not going to be able to solve. And so the solution either is, well, I guess you're going to walk for now. Like, sorry, that's just what you're going to have to do. Um, And that would be a cool solution in a country that had good trains and buses, but we don't have that country. And so um, that's another talk for another day. (laughs) I'll get off that soapbox real quick because that could go on for a while. Um, But, you know, a a solution is, oh, I guess we're going to need to get another car. Like someone has to pay for the damage and they can't afford it. That's reality. So if, if I want them back up and doing the thing because I love them, And want them to be able to get to work or whatever um i will probably absorb the cost that i did not incur and that's a little bit like what happens on the cross in that jesus absorbs a cost that he did not incur the price of the thing our sins and in exchange he 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 gives us uh grace and freedom and and love and forgiveness and acceptance and we are brought into his family this is why it is such good news that you and i can ultimately cosmically universally be forgiven of everything we've ever done wrong we can be forgiven. And this is good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's a proclamation of like, yo, this is great. Check out what has happened, what God has done on your behalf. So it's good news that God sees you and he loves you and he forgives you. So there's two things. The third is this. The gospel means you have been given power and righteousness. So you've been invited to be part of the family, you've been forgiven, and then you've been given power and righteousness. Look at verse 16 and 17 again from Romans 1. This is what Paul says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith by, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, that's, yeah. So there's uh, 16 and 17, and, and and it is not the gospel is not just about brokenness. It's not just about what's wrong with the world and we've sinned and how it can be right. It's bigger than that. It's about the Creator and what He's doing in the world, how He made us who we are to be as His people. It's about the kingdom that there's there is a new life available to us. And that kingdom challenges us to live counterculturally. If you're gonna be citizens of God's kingdom, you are his citizen of that kingdom first, American second. Father, mother, son, child, all these other relationships fall in somewhere down the line. But first and foremost, we are a we are all children of God. We are part of his his family. And he's inviting us into his a countercultural life, and he's inviting us to tell other people about it. Now the gospel, Paul says it comes with power, and that's a weird term for us to get our heads around. Like what's the power of this good news? What what does it matter to us? And I, and I guess the way to explain it, you know, we think in terms of power, like political power or, um, you know, it gets weird into like superheroes and their kind of power and that kind of thing. But if we just go like, what is the power of, of the gospel in our lives? I would say it is, a lot of it is the power to overcome sin. When we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And he starts to change us from the inside out. There's a power that is available to us. And some of you are like, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. And I would say, look at Alcoholics Anonymous and why they're structured the way they are. The founders of of AA uh, were Christian people, and the, the first idea in AA is that you have to admit that you are powerless to overcome your addiction, and that there is a higher power in play here. Now, sometimes they name it, sometimes they don't. But it's the idea that, oh, to beat this, to overcome this, the struggle that I have I need power that's not my own. I, I, I don't have it within me. That is a humble confession. It is a starting point of like, look, I can't do this, but something else can. I need to reach to something outside of myself. And, and that is the power. Um, we are powerless to, to change. Um, God can change us. Um, maybe that sounds too vague for you when we talk about power, but I can tell you there are people in this room that are different people than who they used to be. Ask them. Talk to them. Ask them what, what God has done in their life. There are people that are different. If we could wind back the clock on some of you five years, ten years, and you tell your story, it'd be like, I was a hot mess, and I tried everything, and nothing worked, and, I, and God changed my life. There is a, a, a power there. Now you can do your work you can go to therapy you can do work on your family of origin maybe fill out a genogram you can um, you can you can do that kind of work you can atomic habit all your habits and be as unbelievably disciplined as you want but at the end of that you still are likely to end up a bit frustrated once you reach the end of your rope, you need to grab God's and go like, okay, you can do what I can't do in, in myself, and ask God to, um, to, to really work you over from the inside out. His power can enable you to do things that you could not accomplish on your own. So he talks about power, and he also talks about the gospel bringing a righteousness that comes by faith. Um, we'll talk about the faith bit in weeks to come, but the word righteousness is such a churchy word that it's, it really lands weird on us, like... Uh, like if if, if you uh, if you met someone and they're like I try to live a righteous life, are you gonna be like Yeah, you're not coming to my house? Like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> like you're just not that fun. There's just no way that we're gonna hang out. Like, right? So that language is is weird. But what if you what if you just simplify it and go instead of saying righteousness, you know, what if we just said you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to be a person who lives right and and that isn't just behavior um a a lot of times in to use religious words on it we'll talk about orthodoxy which is right beliefs and and if you get nerdy into it you can go orthopraxy which is right actions and behavior and if you want to go next level we can go orthocardia which is right heart and I would just argue that to live right is to align those things, and I think this is what Jesus is teaching, that we align those things, right beliefs, right heart, right behavior. You align those things together, and that is what it means to live a righteous life or to live a life of where you are doing right and, and following God. Um, and the gospel gives us the power to do that, to know what is right, and to follow and, and to live it out. And it actually works on changing our, our heart. I heard a story on NPR this past week, and it was uh, about a group of people who gather um, on Sundays for non-church church. It's called Sunday Assembly. And they did this story about people who don't particularly like organized religion, uh, want to gather and, and, and come together for good. And so there are these gatherings, they're like once a month called Sunday Assembly, and they, they, they come together, and they said instead of worship and a sermon, they have karaoke and a TED talk. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I get it. Be- and then they said, you know, some basically like some formulas, you know, just, it just works or whatever. So that's why they do that. And I'm listening to the story. It's very fascinating to me. Like, it, it, some, somewhere between like interesting and sad to me. I'm, I'm like, I, the longing for community, man, I feel that deep in my bones, don't you? Like the longing to connect to know others. I love that. And I love that people are trying to solve it. I, I think that's a big part. You asked me, like, what is a problem that area tends trying to solve? Loneliness. Like we want people to connect to God and connect to each other and change the world. Like we're trying to, we're trying to get into that. So the, this group, Sunday Assembly, they're trying to do a non-religious version of that. And in the, in the story, they said, we have three tenets, three like core beliefs for our Sunday assembly. They are these. I'll put them on the screen. Live better, help often, wonder more. I like that. It's clean. It's good, right? And I, and I would argue the church does those things too, especially help often and wonder more. Like, wonder more. Let's elevate our sights. Let's think about God, the big picture. Let's wonder more about the universe that God has created. I like that idea. Help often. We serve. It's a big part of who we are. We want to serve the community. We want to roll up our sleeves, get dirty, and do the work in the city for the city like we help often. Um, but I, I did wonder about the idea of live better because as soon as you say that, it begs the question, what do you mean better? Like what's better and who gets to decide that? Because what's better for me might not be better for you. I mean, if we're all going to pick and choose on what better is, what if I think it's better that I steal your stuff? You, you're going to think that's not better, but it might be better for me to like not pay for stuff and just take yours, right? Like at some point, if we are all deciding for ourselves what is better and what is good, um, it, those, those things are going to come in conflict, it's like the idea where people are like, you need, you need to manif- manifest. That's like a, a, a thing, right? You've heard that in like manifest. Well, like what if I'm manifesting a promotion and that other guy is manifesting their promotion and he gets their promotion? Did I manifest wrong? I'm so confused. Like well, our, our manifesting is coming into conflict. And in the same way, this idea of better, if we don't attach it to anything outside of ourselves, becomes something just about ourselves and can become very self-serving and is, I would argue, pretty problematic. So I think those ideas are interesting, but they're, they're not well-defined. Um, and I it, it actually, I, I think this is always the problem. You have to appeal to some sort of authority outside of yourself. Um, it actually reminds me of the Old Testament book of Judges. We had just been reading through that with some groups here at the church. And uh, the last line of the book of Judges says this, in, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was not a good, that is not a good review of of those days. Like, we would read that and be like, yeah, freaking America. Like, yeah, freedom, baby. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. And they're going, no, that's actually not great when we all decide what's better. We all decide what's right and good. It doesn't actually go well for humanity. And Paul says the gospel gives us power and it helps us to know what is actually right so that we can live in, the, in a right way. And Jesus' righteousness, because we will never do it perfectly, his righteousness is applied to us on the cross. So that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. One last thing I want to address here. Paul says he's not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel is what he says. And I read that and I thought, why would you be ashamed of this? It's kind of weird. Like, if it's good news, who's ashamed of good news? But here's the deal. If you are a rule-keeping, legalistic kind of person who believes that you're going to be right with God because you get straight A's and you keep all the rules and you're like really, really good, then the gospel is a little bit offensive to you because it's saying, sorry, I know you're trying to keep score on the scoreboard, but God doesn't count that scoreboard. That's not the way, that, that's not the way it actually works. So it's a little bit offensive to you of like, I'm doing what's right, those people are not, how come those people get to be in as well as me? Why They're not following the rules, right? You can see how in lots of areas of life that would be offensive to us. Or if you're on the opposite side and you're like, I'm living buck wild, so the, the, the gospel comes along and says, actually, why don't you get some things straightened out? That's offensive to you because you're like, I don't want to follow your rules. So on either sides of the spectrum, we can, we, you can see how people would be Annoyed by the Gospel, if not ashamed by it, because it, it is good news, but it challenges us no matter where we're, where we 're sitting um, and so uh, my challenge today is for Christians to dive into this, dive into the power of this we 're going to unpack this over over the weeks to come, and like I said, next week it, it's, it is challenging to us, uh, particularly in, in this cultural moment in america um, let 's dive into it and and learn. And grow from this as we we head uh, for the next seven or eight weeks heading into Easter. Um, And then if you are not a Christian today, um, let me really encourage you to, on your connection card, uh, write that you want to connect with us. You could check that you're interested in baptism. We can talk to you about what it means to give your life to Christ, to believe in him, to confess your faith, to repent and to be baptized into him. Um, We do baptisms here all the time. Uh, That would be a great opportunity. Maybe let's have that conversation. You go, okay, I want to know more about this gospel thing, and, and, and I think it, it's for me. And so um, that is my challenge to you. Uh, like I said in our last series, Jesus, in a non-anxious way, Jesus is going to invite you to follow him, but he's not going to coerce you or beg you. Like, it's, it, it, the invitation is there for you. You are invited to receive him, um, but, he's, but he's not going to coerce or beg. And so... Um, my challenge to you is, is to receive him and let him meet you where you are. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, the, the gospel, the, the truth, the good news, the grand story of what you're doing in the world. God, um, help us to be kingdom citizens who, who tap into your power, who, who live righteous lives, um, who are trying to know the truth and follow you closely. Help us to do that. And God, for, uh, for everyone, this is kind of maybe hitting them new or fresh or for the first time, um, I, I pray that it really sinks in, that this stuff matters and that this is ultimately what life is, is about. Thank you, Lord. In, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.